You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. All right, well, good morning. That was really weak. Good morning. I know that we're all thinking about Thanksgiving break and we're kind of on, uh, you know, cruise control and all that, but... Man, we want to be alive. We want to be celebratory, right? Uh, a quiet church is a dead church, right? And we are not a dead church, okay? We have the Spirit of God. Man, hey, uh, if it's your first time with us, welcome. My name's Jared. I'm one of the pastors, and I want to welcome you uh, specifically this morning. We are glad you can be here. We know you can choose to be anywhere, and the fact that you have chose to be here with us is a great privilege. It's a great honor, and uh, we just want to see you go from feeling like guests to feeling like family, if that's your desire. And so we've tried to provide several ways for you to get connected. Um, you can grab uh, one of these Connect cards on your way out. You can fill out some information about yourself and hand them to, uh, to me if you want. I will connect with you on your terms. Uh, you can go to our website, fellowshipparagold.com, and learn about us there. Uh, you can also find our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash uh, uh, groups forward slash fellowship paragold or if you just want to come to me at the door when you leave and say hey I want to get to know more about this church uh, about missional communities whatever else um, I will take time to, to, to try to help you as much as I possibly can and so again great to have everybody uh, with us this morning we are going to be in the book of James so if you have a Bible you can go there James chapter 4 as we continue in our series Christianity on the ground level James chapter 4 if you do not have a Bible, uh, we'll be sure and throw the text on the screen for you so you can follow along with us. James 4, we're going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to read down to verse 10. James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let's pray together one more time. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity we have to sit here for the next few moments under your teaching. And I pray that right now through the power of your spirit that you will take this passage, which is alive, it is active, and it's living, it's your very words. And I pray that you will, through your spirit, drive them into our hearts. Help us to see Jesus. Help us to see you as you really are. And I pray that you will use that to, to change us and conform us more into your image for our good and your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Hey, is uh, anybody in here, I know this is a weird question to ask a, a church, but has anybody in here ever been a bouncer? Okay, like two of you. All right, I can relate with you guys, okay? And before you laugh, too late, let me explain, okay, where I'm coming from. A couple months ago, um, I was with our missional community at Labor Park, and I was on the basketball court doing my thing. 
right? Probably beating Tim Parrott's team. Where's he at? Tim's not in here. Okay. Is he in here? Oh, there he is. Uh, okay. Um, and so he's shaking his head because he knows that's probably not true. And so we're sitting there. We're hanging out. We're having a good time playing basketball. And all of a sudden, I hear a commotion off of the court. And to my surprise, I look and I discover there are two very large people fist fighting. And by large people, I mean two ninth grade boys that were about 115 pounds apiece, okay? And so, but it, it felt big. And so anyways, I run over there real quick, and uh, I begin to break up the fight with relative ease, by the way, for those of you who are wondering. And so I break up the fight. I send the boys to kind of their little separate areas. I get them to calm down, to go their own way, and I begin to feel pretty good about the situation. So I leave, and I begin to walk towards a pavilion where the rest of our missional community is just to hang out. And on my way there... I see what I think is a woman yelling at me, like very angry, very upset. And I'm like, uh-oh, like this is not good. But then all of a sudden, I hear another woman behind me yelling at her. And so I realize that what's happening is I'm getting caught in the middle of a cat fight, right? I mean, there are two mamas very mad about the situation their boys just got into. And so they're closing on each other, and now they're about to fight. And I kid you not, if I'm lying, I'm dying. What happened next literally is like something out of the movies, but if... If my missional community, wherever they are, if they are here, they can vouch for this. These women start closing in on each other, and as they do, I don't know how this happened, but from out of nowhere, this woman's family begins to emerge from different parts of Labor Park area in that neighborhood, and they begin to come, and then this woman's family comes from a totally different area, and they begin to come towards each other. So here I am, I'm realizing, like, okay, a buck seventy, I am now caught in the middle of the Hatfield and the McCoys, like, <laughs> conflict here. Okay, and I have no backup. And so I'm sitting there, and they're yelling at each other. They're screaming. I'm like, okay, this is the way it's going to end, right? I mean, this is the way it's going to go down for me. And so um, they're sitting there. They're yelling. They're screaming. They're saying things that I can't repeat here. They're threatening each other. I mean, all sorts of stuff. And right before, I think, man, this is about to go down. By God's grace, somebody says something, and everybody just calms down. They relax, and they go their separate ways. And as the dust settled... I just kind of was scratching my head, and I asked myself this question. What just happened? Right? Like, like how did things escalate so quickly to the point to where these two families were willing to throw down with me right in between them right there at Labor Park? And and here's why I'm, I'm sharing that story with you, because I'm guessing none of you have probably ever been in a situation just like that. But I am willing to bet this morning that all of us have experienced personal conflict in this life. Maybe it was with a spouse, maybe it was with uh, our siblings, maybe it was with our kids, maybe it was with our neighbors, maybe it was with our friends or someone on Facebook, and at the end of the conflict, we're left asking the question, what just happened? Right, like, like, what caused that conflict? Right, like, how did that come about, and who is really to blame for this mess? And, And the temptation is, when answering that question, is to often look outside of ourselves and say it's those people or that person is the problem. The temptation is to say, I would never get in a fight or I would never have a conflict if my circumstance or their personality would have been different. The temptation when we experience quarrels and conflicts is to say, you know what? If I didn't have a loony mother-in-law or if I didn't have a stupid boss or a lousy spouse or crazy kids, right? My life would be so much easier. Clearly, You're the problem, not me, right? That's the temptation. But what James is going to do in our passage today is say, I'm not going to let you get by with that. 
Because though these things may be triggers to the conflicts we experience, the reality is, he says in chapter 4, the reason we have fights and the reason we have quarrels is not because of something happening on the outside, it's because of something that's happening on the inside. Okay? And so if you look with me again in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And so here's what James starts out with saying. He says, look, every single one of you in here right now, even though you're in comfortable seats, you're just chilling, kind of relaxing, guess what's going on? There's a war inside of you. He says there is a battle that is going on right now inside of you. No matter who you are or where you are in life, there is a real battle right now inside of you. And what is causing this conflict? What does he say? In verse 1, he says, it is that you have passions that are at war within yourself. He then goes on in verse 2, and he talks about this in more detail. He says, you desire and you do not have. So what happens? You murder and you covet. You cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. What James is saying here is he says, look at me. You want to know why you have conflict? You want to know why there's conflict even in the world, whether it be from terrorism all the way down to to marital issues, right, and domestic issues? He says, you want to know why there are wars, why there are fights? He says, it really has less to do with your circumstances. It has less to do with the fact that you're surrounded by what you feel as morons, right? And he says, it has more to do with the fact that you have these strong desires inside of your heart. You have things that you want, things that you, you desire, and you want them so badly that if somebody gets in the way and you do not obtain these things, it causes you to fight and quarrel. He says, to murder and covet. I hope you see how radical this is this morning. You see, when we fight with others, it's so easy to pin the blame on them, isn't it? To pin the blame on those we are arguing with. To say, they just need to grow up. (coughs) They just need to get with the program, right? Something is always wrong with them. And James says, no, the reason you're having conflict is because something also was wrong with you. He says, there was something inside of us that is off. He says, there is something inside of us that we are desiring more than God himself, and because we can't get that thing, it causes us to throw these fits, right? And that's what he's getting at, and in verse 1 and 2, I mean, this is really a radical idea, because what James is saying is, I hope you understand, everybody in here is a worshiper. Do you get that today? The question is not if you worship, the question is who or what you worship, All of us in here are worshiping something or someone. What I mean by that is all of us in here are looking to someone or something for joy, meaning, significance, acceptance, and satisfaction. And the reason James is saying is we have conflicts is we tend to want to worship the creation over the creator. We tend to look to things in the world and think, I need this more than I need God. And this isn't a new idea in the book of James. In Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about a group of people who, he says, are marked by envy, murder, and strife. He says they are gossipers, they are ruthless, and they are faithless. And why is that? In verse 25 of chapter 1, he says, because they've chose to worship creation over the Creator. What we need to see today is, guys, the same is true for all of us. As one theologian has said, the human heart is an idol factory meaning all of us tend to put things in the place of God, hoping that it can do for us what only God can do. All of us tend to look outside of God to give us something that only He can give us. And man, you can just fill in the blank here if you want. For some of you, it's your kids. 
man, if my kids can be the athlete I never was, or the success, or the scholar, if they can live beyond me, then <sighs> I can exhale and relax. I'll know that, man, I'll be completely satisfied at that point. So you give all your time, all your money, all of your schedule to your kids. Your life really evolves around them more than God. For others, maybe you worship approval. You're always thinking, what do people think of me right now? What do they think of my clothes? What do they think of my hair? What do they think of my personality? What do they think of my jokes? All right, it's all about me, 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 right? Like if people will just worship me, if they'll just give me the praise and the respect I know I deserve, then I'll be happy. Maybe for others, rather than worshiping Christ, you worship your comfort. And you say, you know what? I'll be satisfied when I can live as easy of a life as possible. Whenever I can eliminate pain at all costs when I can just have pleasure, then I'll be satisfied. And so if this is you, right, you binge watch Netflix or you pop pills or you look at porn, right, or, or you eat food and you, just, you take whatever you want, whenever you want, even if you can't afford it, even if you don't need to take it, right, because I live for myself. I live for comfort and instant gratification. And what James is saying is, look, if you build your life on these things, when they are threatened, conflict will arise, if you worship these things and people try to take these from you, it is going to cause fights. That's what causes fights among you. And I could point to all sorts of examples in my marriage of how this has happened, right? Um, a lot of examples, but there's one specifically, excuse me, specifically that I can point to that I talk to people about in, in premarital counseling that I do. And I can remember early on whenever Megan and I got married, you know, she said that she wanted to be able to have dinner for me whenever I came home. And she's done a fantastic job of that, by the way. She does a great job of having dinner for me whenever I come home. And she stays home with the kids. And, and, and so it just it serves me. But I remember there was one instance specifically where she did not have dinner ready. It actually, she didn't start on it yet. And I walked in, and I might have been a little perturbed by that and my sinfulness. And so, but I didn't feel like I portrayed that. So I walked in, and I just said, uh, we got dinner going? And she said, no. And I said, no problem. I'll just go uh, change clothes and I'll cook for us tonight. And she responds with saying, I've got it. Just like that, I feel like, okay? And so I was like, whoa, hang on a second now. Did you get an attitude? Because I'm pretty sure I just worked hard and I came in and I'm trying to serve you by saying that now I'm going to cook. And she's like, you just go and do your thing, Jared. I'll cook. And so at this point, I think, you know what? She needs a lesson. <laughs> she needs to make sure that she takes into her psyche how privileged she is to be married to me. <laughs> and so, and so uh, I, look at her, <laughs> I look at her and I say, Megan, do you have any idea how many women you know, would want to be married to someone who works hard and then comes home and is willing to cook? And yet whenever I say I'm going to do this, you kind of pop off and, and get an attitude. And then, of course, you can just imagine what happened after that, right? And then we begin to kind of go at it. And now, listen, I share that because looking back on this, we realize our conflict was never over dinner. It was over our desires. And what Megan will share with you, if she was up here, she'd say the same thing. She tends to, at times, worship approval more than God. And I tend to worship my power more than God, meaning... Whenever she feels like at times she is failing me as a wife, she is not meeting my approval, it will cause her to kind of kick back a little bit. And on the same side, if I feel like that I'm not getting the respect that I should get for being a hard worker and just by golly being the best husband you could possibly have, then I get ticked off, right? 
It's not about dinner. It's about our desires. And listen, this is not just true of me and Megan. Some of you are looking at each other and laughing because you know it's true of you, right? Like, like we all have what James is saying here, these desires in our heart for things more than we desire God, and this is what causes the conflict. And listen, guys, this is why this is so huge, man. Like, this is Christianity on the ground level. Listen, if you really do live for the approval of your spouse, what do you think is going to happen when they don't respond to you the way you think they should? Or if you live for control and you really believe, if I could just control everything and do it exactly the way I want, this world would be a better place. If you really believe that, what's going to happen when you have kids? What's going to happen whenever someone messes up your plans, right? And don't do exactly what you hope they would do. Or listen, if you feel like you're entitled to comfort, to live in an incredibly easy life, what's going to happen whenever someone else tries to pull you out of your comfort zone? When someone else tries to push you beyond what you're willing to be pushed, what is going to be the response? Or let me step on some more toes, and I'll throw myself in here. If we care a little bit too much about what college boys are doing with a ball on a field, what's going to happen when someone attacks our sports team? What James is saying here is if you care too much about creation, if you exalt that over the creator, when that is attacked, guess what you're going to do? You're going to attack. It's going to cause conflict. He says, this is what causes the quarrels. This is what causes the fights. And so let me just ask you this morning, where are you experiencing conflict in your life? Think back to the last fight you had. Maybe some of you are like, I'm still fighting with my spouse right now, right? Like maybe you, you got in a fight with your spouse on the way out the door trying to get the kids ready. Think about what it is that's causing your quarreling and your fighting. And James says, look, it's time for you to stop looking at those people or those circumstances and start looking inside of your own heart. Because that's where the problem lies. And for those of you in here that are like, not me, nope. Maybe nine times out of ten, Jared, that's the case, but I really am as about as a perfect of a man or woman as you could imagine. I have no wicked desires in my heart. I worship the Creator over the creation at all times. James says, really? Well, in verse 3, let's just listen to how you pray. He says in verse 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What James says here is there are some of you who think, man, I've got a perfectly pure heart. I don't have these evil desires. And he says, we know that's not true by how you pray. And how does he say we know? He says, because when you pray... You care more about getting stuff from God than you do about getting God. When you pray, it's always about give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. You view God, rather than viewing him as a father whom you can have a personal relationship with, you view him as a celestial pinata, and prayer has become your whacking stick you use to knock goodies down from heaven. Right? Does that make sense? My, my, um, my son had a birthday party this year, and we had a pinata at his birthday party. And all the kids got a chance to hit it. And, of course, the Runyon's kids, like, had the best hits because even though they're little, they swing like poo holes because their dad was an athlete. And so they're like an athlete. It's all genetics, people. I'll tell you right now, doesn't matter how much money you put into your kids, it's all about genetics, okay? And so what does that mean for my children, I wonder? And so, um, so these kids, I mean, they're just like, they're stroking. And eventually somebody busts up this pinata. Now, how many of you think whenever the pinata was busted up, how many of you think the kids ran towards the busted pinata? Nobody. They all ran towards the candy. No kid was like, ah, cardboard, oh my God. Like, you know, like fighting each other for it. Like, they didn't care about the pinata anymore. All they wanted was the goodies. And James says, man, we laugh 
But that's the way God is for some of you. I need you until the goodies fall from heaven, and now I'm done with you. And I'll come back to you again whenever the goodies build up and I feel like I need more from you. He says, that reveals, listen to me, listen guys, that reveals your worship and creation over the creator. And I'm not saying, and James is not saying, that we don't ask God for things. In fact, in James 5, he's going to talk about some things we, we can ask God for. But I think the question all of us should be asking right now is this. By how I tend to pray, would it appear that I care more about God's stuff than I do about God? <coughs> and I think if we can all be honest here, we're tempted to care more about the stuff. We're tempted to worship the creation over the creator. And James says, this is what causes the fights among you. So listen to me, guys. This is, this is game-changing for you if you will hear this. What this then means is the reason you have fights and quarrels is not primarily because your relationship with that person is dysfunctional. It's because your relationship with God is dysfunctional. And that's why if you look in verse 4, look at this. Hey, let me just say this real quick. If you've been sleeping up to this point, that's great. Please wake up for the next three minutes and you can go back to sleep, okay? Verse 4, look what he says. You are an adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now listen to me carefully. This is the core principle of this passage. What James is saying is our sinful human conflict ultimately is rooted in spiritual adultery. In other words, listen carefully. What he is saying in verse 4 is our problem with one another, listen carefully, our problem with one another is not first that we don't love each other enough. Our problem with one another is first that we don't love God enough. That's what verse 4 is all about. It, he, he says in here, you are an adulterous people. Now, what is adultery, right? I don't want to bring up bad feelings unnecessarily for anybody here, but if you've been, if you've, if you've experienced adultery in your life one way or the other, you know the person that commits adultery, they are, whether intentionally or unintentionally, waging war on your marriage. And we all have to shake our fingers at that and say, oh, shame on you. But don't you understand, James says, this is the exact same thing you're doing to God every time you sin. Uh, guys, listen, the Bible says when we enter into a relationship with God, we enter into a covenantal relationship that is marital. And when we choose to worship the creation over the creator, what he says right here is we are choosing to have an affair on the God who loves us more than anybody else could ever love us. And this is why, listen, this is why, please hear this, because you're going to have conflict, please hear this. This is why we can't just move on after we get in a fight. Does that make sense? We can't just agree to disagree. We can't just sweep it under the rug and say, like, can we just pretend that the last 10 minutes never happened? Right? We're both over it now, so let's just forget about it. Guys, we cannot do that because what does James say? When we are fighting, it is showing us it is a sign there is something majorly wrong in our heart. There is something we are worshiping, something we are chasing after that will eventually drive us into the ground if left unchecked and unabated. What James just said is when we are fighting, it is a sign there was something inside of our heart that we care more about than God. And literally, listen guys, it is as if, James 4, verse 4, it is literally as if we are having an affair right in front of God's eyes while flipping him the finger. 
He says, you're making yourself an enemy of God. And not because God's turning his back on you, because you're choosing to turn your back on him. Can you see why when you get in a fight, it's a big deal now? Can you see why our conflicts are a big deal to God? This is really bad news because we all experience conflict, but let me now share the good news. Rather than James looking at all of us now and saying, how dare you do this to God? Shame on you. What does he do instead? Look in verse 5. He turns our hearts to the beautiful, faithful, unconditional, and eternal love of God. He says in verse 5, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? James says, man, don't you know who you are? He says, man, you're the bride of Christ. Don't you realize how loved you are? He says, listen to this, guys. God is jealous for you. (laughs) Do you believe that this morning, the creator of the universe who spoke everything that you see into existence is jealous for you? And not in a sinful type of jealous that we know, but he looks at you chasing after the things of the world that he knows will never satisfy you. And because he knows that he alone can satisfy you, he continues to pursue and continues to love and continues to call you back into a relationship with him despite the fact that you sin against him over and over and over again. I wasn't planning to say this, but I, but I will. Jesus is the perfect groom. And when he goes to work and he comes home and supper's not ready and the kids are going crazy and he even knows we've cheated on him multiple times, you know what he says? I love you anyway and I'm not going anywhere. That's scandalous. This is God's grace on full display which is why he goes on to say what he says in verse 6. He says, you need to remember this, no matter what you've done or where you come from, verse 6, God gives more (coughs) grace. Some of you in here, maybe you've been pursuing other lovers. Maybe you've been clinging to things you know that you should not be clinging to because you're convinced they're going to give you more than God. Maybe you find yourself constantly fighting, constantly bickering. People got to be on eggshells around you. You're always upset about something. And today, you know what? You don't have to live in guilt and shame because what we discover is God's grace is greater than our sin. What we discover is no matter how much we sinned, no matter how many times we've turned our back on God, verse 6 says, there is more grace. Is that not great news this morning? I don't know about you, but I need grace. I mean, I think back to whenever I first became a Christian, when Christ saved me when I was 20 years old. I can remember in that moment knowing I was a wretch, but God, he crowded my space and he said, okay, Jared, let's stop making this so much about you. Let's change the subject. Let's make this about me. Let's make this about what I've done for you in Christ. Yes, I know you've sinned. Yes, I know you've blown it, but son, I don't care about that. I'm I'm forgetting that. I want to forgive you of that. Now let's move forward together. And I can remember the joy in that moment and just saying to God, God, I'm never going to sin again. I'm going to follow you perfectly. We're going to have just, I mean, it's going to be the most intimate relationship ever between God and another human. And you know what? 
12 years later, you know how much I feel like I've grown? This much. There are some days, even as a pastor, I barely feel like I'm a Christian. And you know what I'm discovering? That God's grace is sufficient. That where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And if you believe that, if you believe that, then verse 7 becomes just a natural response. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. The truth is, when we sin, you know who the most offended party is? God. But you know what's amazing? Guess who's most quick to forgive? God. Despite the fact that we're trying to wage war against him, despite the fact we're having an affair on him in front of our eyes, we're waving him the finger because he is so gracious and so loving, rather than damning all of us, all of humanity, which he could do and still be good, right, and perfect for it, he looks and he says, would you please stop fighting against me? This is not going to go well for you. This is not going to end the way you think. Would you please trust me, submit to me, and trust that as your father I know best. I think about just my own relationship with my son. There are some days he is so sweet. In fact, we were having breakfast with him. I don't know when it was this week. Um, and I looked at him and I said, Wyatt, who's Jesus to you? And he goes, I love Jesus so much. He's two years old. And then, like, that whole morning was, yes, sir, no, sir, please. And then guess what happened about 15 minutes later? He goes up to his mama, and he's so mad. He says, I want to push you down, right? And then he hits me, like, multiple times. He's two. Now, look, I could just kick him in the face and be done with it. <laughs> and be like, dude, what are you, are you crazy punching me? Like, you're so little, I'm so big, like, get up out of here, you know? Like, but that's not what I do. Right? I, I'm a loving father who gets down and I'm like, Wyatt. And I'm grabbing his fist. I'm like, son, listen, stand down. Daddy and mommy care for you. I know you don't know what you need right now. I know you think you know better than we do. But I promise you, son, we have your best interest at heart. And don't you see, guys, this is the same thing God is doing with us. And to submit to him is to say, of course, how stupid to wage war against my father who I know loves me. I'm going to trust him. I want to submit to him. That's how James says we find the true joy and the satisfaction we are looking for. But then he says not only we need to submit to God, but he also says in verse 7, we need to what? Resist the devil. Now listen carefully. I know this is the 21st century, and the devil seems weird. And he is weird, but not the kind of weird we often think he is. We think he's just too mystical, and it's just like... That's like fictional stuff, you know, like. But wouldn't it be clear of something, guys? The Bible states very clearly that we have a real enemy whose name is the devil, and he hates you, and he hates your marriage, and he hates your family, and he hates everything about you. He hates this church, and he wants to do whatever he can to destroy it. And the way that he does that, James says, is by causing division between us. And so what James says, you need to sober up, you need to snap into reality, and you need to learn to resist the devil. And the reason I love this word resist is because in the Greek, it is a wartime language. So it doesn't mean we run and hide from the devil. It means we stand firm and we fight. That's what it means. So listen to me, guys. Guess what that means the Christian life is going to be? A war. 
It's going to be a fight, and you've got to hear that today. Because if you want to follow Christ, guess what? As one World War II veteran said to me, you know you're flying over the right target when you're getting shot at. So if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to be attacked. You're not going to always be comfortable. Things are going to get messy. Right? You're going to have to have some endurance here, guys. We're going to have to have some discipline. We're going to have to have some fight and some resilience about us. Because, James just said, you are going to be attacked, Christian. Now, when you think about attacks, I just thought about that this, this morning. I thought, I need to add this in my notes. When you think about being attacked, don't think like um, uh, exorcism-like stuff, like all of a sudden, like, oh, I can just feel these demons and, like, you know, it's taking over my body or, like, all sorts of crazy supernatural stuff. Like, though that may happen, listen to me carefully. Please listen to me. Because, man, I think this is happening in our midst even right now. When you think about attacks, I think one of the greatest attacks that Satan has on you and me is to busy you to death. I think his greatest tactic, above any other, is to put so much on you that it begins to choke out your relationship with God. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of C.S. Lewis. He wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, which is not his best books by far. He wrote way better stuff. And there's one book he wrote called The Screwtape Letters. It's a fiction, nonfiction. And basically, it's about a senior demon, Screwtape, trying to help his nephew, Wormwood, learn how to attack people and tempt them so that they fall under the sway of who they call their father, Satan. And here's what it says in chapter 1. He says to Wormwood, the safest road to hell is a gradual one, a gentle slope, soft underfoot with without any sudden turnings or any certain milestones, without any signpost. And then he goes on, and here's what he says. Listen to me carefully. Listen. He says, here's what you need to do, Wormwood. If you really want to try to lead somebody into hell, you want to choke out the relationship with God, it's so simple. This is what you do. When someone comes home from work, and also they think, oh, I realize I haven't even spent time in the Word today. Here's all you have to do. Say, you've got a yard to mow. And he'll get up. And I'll say, oh, I can't read the word. I've got all this other stuff I've got to do. And he'll go mow his yard. Because it's that easy. It's that gradual. And it'll lead them into destruction. That is why I think James goes on and he says, if you want to experience the satisfaction and the joy that comes from knowing God, verse 8, you've got to learn to draw near to God. And let me just say this, guys. You will never draw near to God if you feel like there's a thousand other things more important than God that you have to knock out before you get to Him. You'll never draw near to Him. How do you draw near to God? You start here. You read your Bible. Guys, listen to me. I'm speaking to you just as a father would to my own child. We are really bad at reading our Bibles. And I don't mean to insult you as in like you're a slow reader or you're not smart. I mean, we just don't get in it. I mean, I've heard people look at me with a straight face and say, yeah, yeah, I'm just not going to read my Bible. This is not an option for Christians. I'm not saying you have to read your Bible to become a Christian, but I'm just saying I don't know how you can be a Christian and not read your Bible. And if you don't know how, man, don't sit in shame and guilt and be like, I just, I just stink at it, I've tried. Please, come talk to me. Come talk to another pastor. I promise you, we will, we will sit with you as long as it takes to help you to learn how you can read the Bible. Okay? We've got to spend time in 
the word. Another way that we can draw near to God is through prayer. And prayer is not, it's not meant to be complicated. It's a conversation with our dad. And it can be so simple. What I would encourage you to do is start here. Spend two minutes in the morning. When you wake up just praising God for the, the fact that while you did absolutely nothing throughout the night, he sustained you in the entire world without you. Just praise him for that. Praise him. That maybe in the midst of all your craziness from yesterday the day before, guess what? The sun rose again. And dawn broke through the night. Right? Praise him for that. At lunchtime, take a couple other minutes and say, okay, God, I realize I'm getting tired now, right? The afternoon's coming. Temptation's going to be coming. I'm not going to want to work. I'm not going to want to deal with this. So I need you to continue to be my salvation. Just please continue to empower me. Help me to live with an awareness that you've given me what I need to live the life you've called me to. Whenever you pull up at the house, 5 or 6 o'clock, when you're in the garage, take a couple more minutes before you get out of the car to just say, I need you. I, I need you in, in this moment. I, I, I don't want to carry the stuff of the day in. I realize, God, I'm still anxious or I'm still upset over what my boss said to me or this person said to me or what my spouse said to me before I walk out the door. I just want to give that all to you right now. And then before you go to bed, I would just encourage you to, to stop before you fall asleep and say, would you search my heart, Father, and just know my ways. Know what's in my heart so I can confess anything to you that's there that can lead to destruction. Well, that's what praying is. It's just that organic conversation back with God, speaking and listening. Third thing I would encourage you to do if you want to draw near to God is you have to get involved in community. Every week we talk to you about getting involved in a missional community, and please hear me, guys. We don't say that because we just think that's a new fad or a new model. I don't have time to dive into it, but in, in James chapter 3, verse 18, you know what he says? Listen to me. If you want to experience the life God has for you, you have to live in community. That's what James 3.18 is about. If you don't believe me, go study it, pull out any commentary you want. If you want to draw near to God, you must draw near to his church. You must live beyond this Sunday morning, as good as this is, in community. And then the last thing I would say, and actually James says, if we want to draw near to God, listen guys, we must get serious about our sin. If you look in verses 8 and 9, he says, draw near to God, he will draw near to you, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Look at this next verse. Be wretched, and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. I want to ask you a question that I've been pondering all week. When is the last time that you wept over your sin? When is the last time you mourned your sin? We live in a culture that worships happiness. In a culture where we want to push aside anything that feels heavy or sad. In fact, even right now, you might even feel it like, oh, let's move on. Maybe even some of you have grown up hearing that a Christian should always be giddy and just smiling 24-7. And though, listen, as Christians, though we should be the most celebratory people on the planet, we are still an imperfect people. Amen? We all still struggle with sin. And what James says is we should mourn our sin. We should be broken over the fact that we are having an affair with God over or on God over and over and over because despite the fact that he's done everything he's done for us, we continue to say, no, I think there's something else better. 
James says, man, we should mourn this. And maybe for some of you, you don't like the thought of that, but let's look in verse 10. We'll end here. Look at the result of going to God with our brokenness in verse 10. He says, humble yourselves before God and look at the result and he will exalt you. Isn't it good news to know this morning that God welcomes the needy? That he welcomes the weak. That he welcomes the broken. Jesus could have opened his first sermon any way he wanted, but in Matthew 5, 3, what does he say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. You want to have a relationship with God, you don't have to be perfect, but you know what you do have to be? Poor. You have to be poor in spirit. You have to be spiritually bankrupt before God. You have to realize that you, you have to, to come to the conclusion that I have nothing I can offer him, that I cannot possibly work my way to him. But then looking to Jesus and saying, because of what he's done, I don't have to work my way to him. I can never be good enough, but because of Christ, I don't have to be good enough. Because according to the Bible, Jesus, in the greatest act of humility of all time, in Romans 15.1, it says that Christ came to this earth and he did not come to please himself. Listen to me, guys. Jesus Christ, he gave up his glory. He gave up his comfort. He gave up his power. He gave up everything that he has for you. He resisted the devil perfectly because we couldn't. He lived a perfect life we could never live. And then he went to the cross and he died the death that we deserve to die for our sins. And here's what's so amazing. Before he died, when he was in agony, he cried out to his father. He drew near to him. But God the Father did not draw near to his son. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus took the loneliness and the rejection that we need for our sin and deserve for our sin so that when we trust in his perfect life, in his death, in his resurrection, we can have a perfect eternal relationship with the God, listen guys, who not only can save us, but can satisfy us. Do you believe this morning God can satisfy you? Guys, I grew up hearing preaching my entire life. My dad was a pastor. I did not become a Christian until I was 20 years old because I've said it before, though I believed God could save me, I did not believe he could satisfy me. And because I did not believe God could satisfy me, I looked to all these other things other than Jesus for satisfaction. And the reason that is so dangerous is, listen, what that means then, if you are not, if you are looking at other things for satisfaction over and over and over, you're giving your life, your time, your money to all these things more than Christ, Jesus is not your Lord. And if he is not your Lord, he is not your Savior. The good news is, though, that can all change today. You can draw near to God through Christ, and whenever you do, you can discover that you have everything that you need in Him. And when your joy is rooted in Christ, really rooted in Him, as a result, listen to this, when your relationships get tough, and they might even get tough this afternoon, so listen, here's how you know you're drawing near and finding your satisfaction in God. When your relationships get tough, you won't check out, you won't leave, you won't even try to fire back. Rather than being known for your fighting, you will be known for your forgiveness. And you will choose to love others as Christ has chose to love you. Let's pray together. As our band comes forward and those who are preparing communion come forward, I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. And let's take a moment just to absorb these words, to take them to heart. Let's ask the Spirit to reveal to us what we need to hear this morning.
Father, I do thank you so much for each person who is here today. I know that words like this can feel heavy, especially if we feel like we have nowhere to turn with them, but you tell us over and over in your word that we can turn to you. I know there are some who are here right now. These words are empty. There's someone who is here right now and is ready to check out. They're maybe even thinking, I, I don't have any intentions whatsoever of doing anything that I've heard today. And Father, it's because your spirit is not alive in them. Or maybe they are just so full on the things of this world that they are spiritually sick. And so they no longer hunger for you. Would you please right now, through your spirit, please make yourself real to them, alive to them. Help them to see that you are better than anything this world has to offer. And as a result, as you heal our relationship with you, heal our relationships with one another for your glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.